Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the First in Orange podcast. This is Denver Post sports writer Kyle Newman alongside my colleague Ryan O'Halloran out here at Dove Valley. Broncos prepping to take on the Colts in Indianapolis this week. And, uh, hey, this is the start of some very tough sledding for the Broncos. Five of their next seven on the road. And we, we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast, but it's going to take a lot and a, a well-rounded effort for the Broncos to come out with a victory in which they're, what, six-and-a-half-point underdogs in Indy. Yeah, I mean, those five road games, they're not going to be favored at any of them, nor should they be. They're, they're, those teams have better records. And then just off the top of my head, it's Indianapolis, and then Minnesota, and then Buffalo, and then Houston, and Kansas City. Those are all tough games. Those are all teams that are going to be playing for a heck of a lot more than the Broncos are going to be playing for you know as we projected but you know last week was a total system failure we you know we discussed it uh, a day after the Chiefs game but I think what you find out this week is okay they've traded Emmanuel Sanders they may be getting Juwan James back at right tackle okay is Deshaun is Deshaun Hamilton ready to be the number two well he's going to get a chance um, is James healthy enough to last the whole game? We're going to find out. You know, Thursday we're recording this. You know, Vic said TBD on the left tackle, right tackle situation. To me, that says everything. To me, that says if they knew James was 100% ready to go and they had a little more confidence in Elijah Wilkinson, they'd move Eli to left tackle. Garrett Bowles would be sitting. He may still be sitting for a little bit on Sunday. That's one of the major subplots. But, you know, I think the Sanders trade allowed guys to move forward a little bit. They weren't having to talk about who's getting touches. Rich Gangarello wasn't being asked about Emmanuel Sanders' comments about not getting enough catches. But I think, uh, you know, the you, if you're a Bronco fan, you hope that the weekend offs sort of allowed everybody to reset and, and put together a better performance than last week's debacle. Well, and you mentioned Deshaun Hamilton hasn't had more than three catches in a game so far this season. The former Penn State star has a huge opportunity in front of him. He knows it, and he's going to have to capitalize. Also, uh, Tim Patrick, John Elway said he's coming back after the bye from IR, so he'll fill one of those two spots. Uh, and then rookie Juwan Winfrey inactive the last six weeks, so he'll probably get a shot at that third wideout spot. Yeah, and he probably will this week. I mean, Fred Brown generally got the edge over Winfrey because of special teams ability. Uh, but now Winfrey sort of has to be active uh, as that uh, extra receiver. Then Patrick comes back. That makes one of those guys expendable as an active. So Winfrey's got two games um, to prove that he deserves a jersey after the bye when Patrick's eligible to come back. So this offense has a lot more problems than receiver. They can't pass protect. Their running game is hot and cold. But I'll circle back one more time on Deshaun. Basically, if I'm Deshaun Hamilton, if I'm any other young guy, I see a team that has seven picks in the top four rounds of the 2020 draft. Here's my chance to prove they shouldn't use one of those on my position. You visited with Hamilton earlier this week. What were some of his thoughts? He basically said, hey, it's now or never. You know, if, you, if I haven't been prepared for this uh, to this point, and he, you know, he along with the other guys saw the writing on the wall, and I'm sure he more than anyone else knew the ramifications it was going to have on his particular position and his playing time. So a huge opportunity for Hamilton. But hey, let's uh, talk about the tackle conundrum right now one more time because in reading the tea leaves between Vic and, and uh, what Jawan James has told me, it seems like the Broncos would surely like James back a little quicker than he's progressing. And he's been medically clear before the Chiefs game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something a veteran reporter told me when I was in college. You got to read between the words. <laughs> you know, not read between the lines, read between the words. And you got to do that a lot with Vic Fangio. When he says that the player is physically cleared but not football cleared, to me that means he's saying, okay, it's time to get out there. 
you know, it, it just was Wednesday where he went through a full practice and it was cold out. And who knows what the footing was like? It didn't sound like he did everything, even though he was listed as full. So I think there's some frustrations there with Vic and James because in training camp, Vic wasn't afraid to say of Todd Davis, that come along as fast as we hoped. Well, that was a shot. I mean, I loved it because it was honest. He's probably been a little more tepid with his right tackle. His highly paid right tackle. Yeah, and that has a lot to do with it as well, is they need this guy to work out. Um, when he gets in there, he needs to stay in there. He needs to stay healthy. He needs to improve a pass protection unit that was springing leaks all over the place with nine sacks allowed the other night, eight by the O-line. So, you know, the James return... You know, I, I would have tepid expectations about that because he hasn't played in so long. Didn't play a lot in the preseason either. So I think the key is they got to get better play from all five guys. Bowles has got to be better when he's in there. Wilkinson's got to be better when he's in there. McGovern had his first speed bump of the year the last couple of weeks. Leary has eight penalties, leads the team. So I do agree what Vic says. The passing game falls on everybody. Guys getting open, pocket awareness, pass protection. All those things got to be better. But let's be honest, if Elijah Wilkinson had been playing better in Jawan James' stead, they probably would have just shuffled him over to left tackle or put James there, and Garrett Bowles would be taking a seat. Instead, Bowles gets another reprieve here. Yeah, I mean, it's a stay of execution. I mean, in the preseason, we were talking about, hey, Wilkinson's showing some stuff here that in case Bowles struggles, put him in at left tackle. Well, then the James injury happened, and then Eli struggled himself. So I think, you know, Bowles is getting... You know, a reprieve, as you say. You know, he's you know getting more chances by default, and but he's got to be better. So, one other guy on offense that's got to be better is tied in Noah Fant. Had three drops against the Chiefs on Thursday night. You're writing about him this week. You talked to Wade Harmon, the tight ends coach. What were some of Wade's uh, insight on Noah? Well, Wade, and he's coached pro bowlers in the past Shannon Sharp with the Ravens Austin Hooper most recently with Atlanta so he had some insight into to Fant's speed bumps you know in his rookie year here but he said that although Fant has a ton of work to do the, the drops are unacceptable he knows it Fant knows it he said that Noah Fant is the best rookie tight end run blocker that he's ever had and that's pretty high praise considering he's been coaching 22 years coming into this year. Well, I got to go back and watch the tape. <laughs> um, tape check from Ryan O'Halloran. The tape don't lie. I, I'm writing 87 a down, lost his matchup. But, you know, you also visited with Fant in the locker room earlier this week. Do you, do you see a kid who is still confident? I do. I, I see a kid who's realizing the trials and tribulations of the NFL and of being a Denver Bronco and like Wade and I talked about being really thrown into the fire. You know, he mentioned uh, when he had Todd Heap in Baltimore, he had Shannon Sharp there to, to learn and he, there's veterans around. Well, Noah, Noah fan is really being asked to do a lot and taking the majority of, of the snaps at tight end uh, really been being asked to be the guy as a rookie who was just last fall playing in the big 10. So, uh, I see a guy that, that still has the confidence, but you know, just like he told me, if it hits your hands, you got to catch it. And so he's he's owning the mistakes moving forward. We'll see if he can continue to progress uh, in all in all aspects. Yeah, if I'm Rich Gangarello calling the plays on Sunday in Indy, first play going to Noah Fant. Maybe third play I go to Noah. Got to get him involved a little more. I think on the Broncos end too, because you know you're right. He, he coming off a bad game and he hasn't had explosive games really at all yet right just one touchdown so got to get him involved get that confidence back yeah it's 
How, you know, I think it is a, a process of what he does best with his routes. I mean, he, you know, he scored on that tight end screen that probably shouldn't have counted because of legal man downfield, but he he did show some burst there. There's no question that him against the linebacker down the seam is a, is a is a matchup in favor of the Broncos. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'll never call a first round pick a bust in one year, but uh, I think Fant is to be the first one to know he's got to pick it up. And you know, let's flip it over to defense. Von Miller talked on Thursday. He's not getting a lot done in the pass rush game, which he admitted. You know, does he, does he feel like does, does he sound like a guy who's fighting it a little bit? Yeah, he's uh, he's frustrated. You know, he said, "Hey, as much as the fans are frustrated with two and a half sacks, I'm equally as frustrated." And he was like, "Hey, I'm, I'm rushing hard. I'm getting there. I'm, I'm touching. I'm not bringing him down." So he's, he he acknowledges he's got to start finishing the play. But I mean, let's be honest: the, the absence of Bradley Chubb, even with how well Alexander Johnson has been playing, uh, Josie Jewell still out, hasn't been playing. That's I think that's affected him and just in terms of the pressure or the, the attention he's seen. Yeah, and we could go back to Sanders real quick because Vaughn talked about that. I thought it was telling. I thought Vaughn spoke for the locker room. If this they want to turn it around here, they want guys who want to be here to turn around. You know, Sanders was basically looking forward to his next contract, and I'm sure. Yeah, you don't want to say no tears were shed. I'm sure there weren't, but I think I think the roster is looking at this as an opportunity for Cortland Sutton, for Deshaun Hamilton, for Tim Patrick against back to step up and prove they can be foundation guys. So, yeah, I think the the trade didn't have to be made, but it was made after the Tennessee game when John and Emmanuel talked it out a little bit. What's going to be interesting moving forward is if they lose in Indianapolis on Sunday, trade deadlines Tuesday afternoon. Does a market develop for Chris Harris? I think there would be one if John Elway wants to wants to pursue that. Does Derek Wolf have any value? I think those are the only two guys that maybe could fetch a mid-round pick on expiring contracts. But it feels like John Elway is waiting for one more game. Then not so much pull the plug, but to really reassess. And I think he did that with the Sanders trade, saying, hey, addition by subtraction a little bit. But if you do trade Harris and Wolf, that really does hurt the current product. So I think that's something Elway may, may be wrestling with. And hey, let's go back to the Sanders and the Tennessee game because that was mentioned uh, by John in his opening remarks, but then he didn't want to get into it. Now, obviously, Sanders left that game, just one catch at halftime, left with a knee injury. Um, and there seemed to be some friction there with him basically it looked like pulling himself out mm-hmm. and uh, kind of doing that. Well, anyway, yeah, the, reading the tea leaves yeah, here, again, right? Again, we're reading the tea leaves. But from, from, from my reporting on this is on, is on Tuesday, two days after that Tennessee game, uh, Wayne Sanders met and said, hey, there are issues, which John admitted, that how to put this mildly, if something could be worked out for both sides, John would try and facilitate a trade, which he did. You know, after Sanu got traded New England, San Francisco quickly moved on to Sanders. You know, gave up a lot of third and a fourth for a guy who may only play nine games for them. Right. So, so a pretty good job by Elway, especially for a guy who was vocal about not wanting to be here anymore. Yeah, and you know, people are going to give Elway some grief, or they did. From before the Tennessee game at one and four, he says none of our players are on the market. Well, at the time, that was right. When they're winning the Tennessee game, that was right. Part of the job of GM, just like part of everybody's job, is adjusting on the fly. That's what he did. So, and you had to adjust after that thirty to six shellacking. That kind of revealed what we pretty much knew about this team, but was put off for a couple weeks with those wins. Yeah, and you're, you're not going to be able to get players for Sanders because teams are going to give up useful guys. So take the picks, gives you some extra chips if you want to trade up in round one or two or three. I mean, they got three thirds right now. So, 
Uh, so you know, we'll see what we'll see what the Broncos end up doing with those seven picks. I I, I think they'll probably more apt to wheel and deal. Maybe they trade a pick in the offseason for a veteran and uh, it created some cap space for the time being they can roll over. So it, uh, I think it, it worked out for both sides. Uh, Sunday in Indianapolis, we all picked the Colts. Why are you picking We all picked the Colts. I, you know, I think the defense, like I wrote my prediction, is going to come along, but I got the Colts 17-10. I just, the offense has not shown me anything. And the offensive line, I, I don't see them taking a step forward. If anything, I'm a little afraid that they're going to be exploited and take another step back. And I see the Denver rushing attack being held to under 100 yards. Yeah, and I got Colts winning 27-20. It's be a close game. I had Brissett winning it with a, you know, a goal line dive late in the game. This, you know, this offense doesn't inspire any confidence. And really, the defense, outside of the run defense, which is improved, you can't say, okay, they're going to get a sack at an important time. They're going to get a takeaway at a right. key point. They just haven't shown that kind of consistency. So until they do, and then those special teams are a total mess. Until they do, it's hard to pick them to win any game against a good team. And Broncos Colts Sunday, 11 a.m. Mountain Time at Lucas Oil Stadium. Appreciate you listening in to this segment of the First in Orange podcast. Kyle Newman alongside Ryan O'Halloran. Be sure to head online to denverpost.com slash Broncos for continued coverage of the team throughout the rest of the season. Until next time, folks, take it easy.